0: Well, thank you, Andre. Uh, Andre's been doing such a great job with those uh, daily encouragement videos, those devotional videos, coordinating those and the uh, the, the, the scheduling of that, and I trust that they's, those videos have been truly an encouragement to you during this time. Uh, I'm looking forward to our prayer night this Thursday, uh, looking forward to seeing some faces and hearing some voices and so... Uh, Please do put that on your radar, on your calendar, this Thursday at 7 p.m. At this point, I'm just very excited to be able to turn to the Scripture with you and um, receive whatever it is that God has for us this morning. And I believe He has something for us indeed. So will you please take your Bible and uh, meet me in... Luke chapter 24, that's the gospel of Luke chapter 24. Today, millions of people worldwide are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. People on every continent, from different uh, countries and cultures, people from every race and ethnic background... Boys and girls, men and women, young and old, people representing every possible demographic and socioeconomic distinction. Millions of people celebrating the fact that Jesus is risen and alive. And I just want to assure you of that. Please be assured of that. Although our church services look different this year on this particular Easter Sunday, please know that today is not about the coronavirus or its effect on our lives. Let's not give it that power. Today is a celebration of life, the life of Jesus Christ and our life in Him. And not just today, by the way, but every day. Because without the resurrection, there is no Christianity, no lasting hope beyond this world. And the Bible admits as much, saying in 1 Corinthians 15, that if if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Then it continues by saying, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. You see, the resurrection changes everything. So on this Easter Sunday morning, I just want to go back and revisit that great day that altered the course of history forever. I want us to go back to that first resurrection morning to, to a scene recorded in Scripture that describes those initial moments and how people reacted to them and how we are very much like them. Uh, I think we see ourselves in this scene, which means the hope of new life still dawns on us today. Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. Please read it with me. It begins On the first day of the week, at early dawn, they, some women, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves and he went home marveling at what had happened. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the moments we now have in Scripture, we pray, as we so often do, we pray that even now as we open our Bibles, that you would open us to its truth, that you would teach us from from this passage, what is probably a very familiar passage to many of us, and yet I pray that its truth would be as new and fresh and impactful today as it has ever been even as we go back in a sense and gather around that empty tomb and hear its message into our lives today. We ask this in the name of Jesus and for his glory. Amen. Now I want to take this, this section, this passage in three parts today. I'll call the first part Reality. And that's in verses 1 through 3. The second, remembrance, verses 4 through 8. And the third, response, verses 9 through 12. Reality, remembrance, response. It's early Sunday morning at dawn on the first day of the week. Jesus was crucified just that Friday and some of his friends some women are heading to the tomb where he was buried. Luke lists three of these women by name, but there were more, as we later learn in verse 10. And they were there that morning to lay his body to rest, to properly prepare the body by using various spices and ointments as was customary. To their surprise, though, the body was gone, They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, verses 2 and 3, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Now these women were present when Jesus died, according to uh, chapter 23, verse 49, and they saw the exact tomb where His body was placed. So, So they saw that gory, gruesome display when Jesus was... Crucified. They were likely dealing with post-traumatic stress on some level, the sights and sounds and smells of crucifixion, still very fresh in their minds. They saw Him die. They saw Him taken from the cross. They saw Him buried and with Him all their hopes. It was still very raw to them, still very new and still very, very painful. They were still grieving His death, I'm sure, And probably still resigning themselves to that fact. But clearly, they weren't at all thinking resurrection. They weren't expecting it. What they expected was a crucified body. Uh, They expected a corpse... They expected the body of Jesus, whom they knew and loved. They expected the stone to be in place and the dead Jesus inside. Instead, the stone is out of place and Jesus is gone. In other words, everything is opposite of what they anticipated. Isn't it interesting? how God's work in our lives typically doesn't unfold as we plan or imagine it. They went to the tomb that morning living in one reality, the false reality of misplaced expectations, when in fact a whole new reality had burst upon their world. Resurrection had become their reality. They just didn't know it yet. Verses 4 and 5 say they were perplexed by this, by, by what wasn't there, and frightened by what was. Perplexed by the disappearance of Jesus, frightened by the appearance of two other men instead. We know from the other Gospels that these men were angels arrayed in dazzling apparel Angels from God to remind them that Jesus is raised, just as he predicted. And they ask, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Now, for them, it's an easy question to answer because they weren't seeking the living. They're just hoping to pay final respects. They they were among the dead. Because Jesus died and they witnessed it. And yet now they learn he is not dead, but risen from the dead. And still, as I think through this passage today, still I think the question is a fair one. And I believe it can be asked of us as well. Because how many of us at times live as if Jesus is still in the tomb? When our world is turned upside down as theirs was, do we not sometimes act as if Jesus is dead and buried? When, when things don't go as we expect, are we not prone to the same confusion and fear? Now though we say we believe that God works in our lives and in our world, even in the worst possible circumstances, when we're actually... In those circumstances, don't we tend to forget this basic truth? I think it would be good for us this morning to just humbly admit that we don't know as much as we think we know. These women knew Jesus, loved Jesus, followed Jesus, cared for Jesus, but they didn't fully understand Jesus or what he came to do, not yet. And I think that's just like us. We think we know Jesus so well until things go awry. We get confused or afraid when he's not where we expect him to be or in the way we anticipate In those instances, we find ourselves at a loss because we've become more dependent on our circumstances than on God. Why do we seek the living among the dead? In other words, why do we look for hope in all the wrong places, in things we think we can control or predict, for instance? If true faith is tried faith, then desperate trust in God is what brings hope and deliverance. That's what these women were about to learn. Remember how He told you, the angels continue, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. You see, Jesus had prepared His people for this very moment many times. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected and be killed and on the third day be raised, He said much earlier in Luke chapter 9. Let these words sink into your ears, He said later in that same chapter as if begging them to listen and ready themselves for what was coming. And again, As they approached Jerusalem one last time together, he said, "...everything that's been written about the Son of Man will be accomplished, for He will be delivered over, and He will be mocked, and He will be shamefully treated and spit upon, and after flogging Him, they will kill Him, and on the third day, He will rise." However, Though Jesus prepared them for this, they still didn't get it. And I think it's probably because they didn't want to get it. They didn't want to understand crucifixion, why he had to die, and thus the promise of his resurrection probably never even registered. To them, the whole ordeal didn't make sense. In effect, they never saw their need for Christ's death. And their need for his victory over it. Which is why the key word here is the word must in verse 7. Because it emphasizes why Jesus was crucified and God's divine purpose in it. You see, because we have disobeyed God individually and collectively as a human race. And because our disobedience separates us from God and brings Death, and because we're incapable of bridging that gap ourselves, no matter how hard we try, we must be rescued by God in the way that He determines, not by our many attempts to define or reach Him on our own accord. And and God is so willing to rescue, thankfully, because He is love. Yet He is also just, perfectly so, which means that our many wrongs and even our natural propensity toward wrongdoing must be atoned. They can't just be ignored or dismissed. So Jesus, who is of the same nature as God, identified with us also in our humanity. He was like us in every way. And yet unlike us, he obeyed God perfectly. Therefore, He became the necessary sacrifice by incredible, unimaginable grace. He substituted Himself in our place to receive the death we deserve, the death that our sins have earned. This word this word must shows that God did for us what we could never do ourselves. And that this is the only way for if not for Christ's death and resurrection we could never be freed we could never be forgiven from sin's guilt and therefore never raised or restored to a a new life with God not the angels urging the women finally remember the words of Jesus in verse 8 and so must we Like them, we can trust in what God has already made known even when we don't fully grasp it. Because hope and peace is not found in our own understanding but in the words and ultimately in the work of Jesus Christ. Remembrance is the pathway to deliverance as we trust more in God's will than our own. Reality, remembrance, and third, response. How did people respond to the resurrection that first Easter morning? And how does their response mirror ours? How does it inform ours even today? The women, they seem to respond with faith, at least a degree of faith. They have seen the empty tomb. They have heard the angel's announcement. They have remembered the words of Jesus and they seem convinced because they begin immediately to share the news. Returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Something happened that changed these women. Something that changed their lives. They arrived at the tomb expecting one thing but left having experienced something entirely different. Something transformative and they couldn't keep it to themselves. Resurrection has that effect on people. You see true belief is not what you know but what you do with what you know. That's why the resurrection is not simply an event to commemorate. It's a Message to communicate. Biblically, there is an undeniable link between our faith and the sharing of our faith. The second response is that of the apostles. Unlike the women who respond with faith, they doubt. Actually, it's beyond doubt, it's denial its disbelief, to them it all seemed like an idle tale, nothing but nonsense, a mere fantasy? Ever been excited to share something with someone you love, only to be met with skepticism? That's the boat these women were in. They were so eager to share the news of their experience, and yet immediately they're met with pushback and rejection. You've been there. But I find something so encouraging here, Encouraging because we know how the story unfolds. We know what becomes of these apostles. Though they refuse to believe at first, they soon will meet the risen Lord Jesus themselves and they will be completely transformed and thus spend the rest of their lives serving and sharing Christ to the far reaches of the world. So I want you to think about the people in your life today who refuse to believe. Maybe they're even adversarial. Maybe they even thank you a fool for believing such nonsense as they see it. I know people like that, people I love and care about. So the encouragement here is to not give up. We must not give up on people who initially reject or deny the truth. We must not give up on them and especially on God. They may not believe today, but maybe tomorrow maybe next week, maybe next year, or in ten years. They may come to faith when, when we least expect it, when they least expect it. All it takes is just one moment, just one encounter with the living Lord. Believe. And of course, there's another response seen here. Peter's response. Peter was one of the apostles, so maybe, like the others, he also refused to believe at first. On the other hand, Luke singles Peter out in verse 12, saying, But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Luke draws a contrast between Peter and the others, between his response and theirs. And I think the contrast is this. Where they outright denied the resurrection, Peter left open the possibility. He just had to see it for himself. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's you. As you're hearing this message this morning. Maybe you're unsure what to think about Jesus or all this talk of resurrection. Maybe you need some convincing. Like Peter did. The last time we saw Peter, he denied ever knowing Jesus. He disassociated with Jesus. He deserted Jesus in his darkest hour. And I'm sure that still haunted him, even as our past sometimes haunts us. But now, now his hope had been renewed. The sure hope of new life and a new beginning He just had to check it out himself. And once he did, he went away marveling at what had happened. Something compelled him to act when the others didn't. He wanted to understand. He wanted to make his own decision. He wanted to examine the evidence and draw his own conclusions. So if you're doubting today, by all means, please do the same. And if you're holding on to past failures, I want you to know there is hope for you too Though our doubts are many, the resurrection is more. To some, the resurrection is an idle tale. Some say that Jesus didn't really die. He just passed out. They say say He swooned and simply lost consciousness and resuscitated later while inside the tomb. Is this plausible? I don't think so. The Romans were experts at crucifixion. No one lived through it. But even if he had, even if he had, with all that Jesus endured no sleep, no food, the severe scourging, the flogging, and ultimately the the cross itself is it reasonable to expect he could survive alone for hours in a cold, dark tomb without any care or provision of any kind? Could he have survived? Being wrapped in 75 to 100 pounds of linen cloth, as was the custom, yet still have the strength to untangle himself, and then the presence of mind, to neatly fold the cloths and leave them in the tomb, as reported in John chapter 20. After all the blood loss, would he have had the strength to push away the large stone that seal the tomb, overpower the guards who kept watch, then walk miles on nail-pierced feet to meet up with His disciples, all while going unnoticed, mind you, at a time when Jerusalem was overcrowded with people because of Passover. Moreover, if Jesus never died and merely swooned, then where is He? As prominent as he was, as despised as he was by the Jewish authorities, could could he have simply disappeared? All his enemies needed to do is present the body, but they couldn't because he wasn't there. So they concoct a story. Matthew records the story. The chief priests, they say to the guards, Hey, listen, listen. Here's the plan. You tell the people that His disciples came and stole His body while we were sleeping. And this has become known as the stolen body theory. Does it make any sense? And again, I don't think so. Right away, it's self-defeating. For how would the guards know the disciples stole the body if they were sleeping? And the picture of the disciples at this time, it's one of fear. It's one of doubt, one of confusion. They fled when Jesus was arrested and crucified. They betrayed him, they denied him, they wanted to save themselves. So, what would prompt them to take to make such a bold move when associating with Jesus came at such great risk? Even if they made the attempt, could they overpower the guards? Move the stone. Take the body of Jesus to who knows where and never be punished for it. Furthermore, if they stole the body, it means they knew Jesus was a phony. They would have known He wasn't God, the Son of God and Savior of the world. And yet each one of them suffered for this very belief. Most of them died torturous deaths because of it. They gave their lives. They sacrificed the rest of their lives proclaiming that Jesus was raised. Would you willingly die for what you knew to be a lie? Even that women were the first To report the news of resurrection lends to its credibility because in that culture, in the first century, a woman's testimony was not admissible in a court of law. So if the story of Christ's resurrection is fabricated, certainly the fabricators wouldn't have chosen women to be the first witnesses to it. Again, examine the evidence do any of these alternatives make any sense whatsoever? No, they don't. But on the flip side, we have reliable, historical, Eyewitness accounts that Jesus did, in fact, rise from the dead just as he predicted. And before he returned to heaven, in the span of 40 days, he appeared in bodily form to over 500 people. People who saw him, people who touched him, people who ate and shared meals with him, people who spent time with him. They talked with him all of which took place post-resurrection, people who learned firsthand that Jesus was alive and well. And then, after that, the disciples, the apostles, the followers of Jesus went from timid, forlorn skeptics to bold crusaders who turned the world upside down with this very message. They knew very well the fact of Jesus' death. Nothing but the equally certain fact of His resurrection could have empowered and sustained them. Nothing but the resurrection could have altered the course of history as it has. For over 2,000 years, enemies of Christianity have tried to disprove it. And yet still today, still to this very day, in places all over the globe, people from all walks of life have received life from Jesus. This life of redemption and genuine relationship with God. In the end, In the end, though, you can't fully explain resurrection. You can't explain it away, but you can't fully explain it because in the end, it explains us, and more importantly, God. As William Willimon observes, it's about God who creates a way when there was no way a God who makes war on evil until evil is undone, a God who raises dead Jesus just to show us who's really in charge. So this Easter Sunday morning, I do pray that you see yourself in this scene and that you find hope in the resurrection of Jesus. Hope that opens us to a new reality, shakes us from dependence on circumstance to dependence on God. Hope that reminds us of our need for God and of Jesus who met that need in full measure. Hope that confronts our doubts and calls for faith and then calls us to share that faith. Reality, remembrance, response. Yes, the hope of new life still dawns on us today. So let's say it together He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. God, once again, would you take these truths and impress them upon us in unmistakable ways? Would you open us to this truth? Would the seeds of your word fall upon fertile soil in our hearts and bring fresh growth in our lives? May it bring about new life, and newness of life. I'd pray for those who are listening and tuning in today. I just, wherever they are, whoever they are, I pray that you'd be ministering to them even now in homes and living rooms and offices and backyard spaces, wherever they happen to be tuning in. Even now, would the reality of resurrection be bursting upon their world? Remind us of all the promises we have in Scripture, the The promises of just how far you've gone to rescue us from our own wrongs, our own sins and misdeeds and to restore us to yourself in love. And then God, give us the faith to respond in faith. And to receive this life. This life of Jesus. And live... Accordingly. For we ask it in his great name. Amen.